0: Hello,
1: welcome to the Irish Left Archive podcast. In this episode, we talk to Dublin City Council historian and residence, Mary Muldowney about left approaches to history. Mary discusses her research and public dissemination of history, her advocacy of oral history and its particular utility in bringing out working class histories and history from below, attitudes to history in Irish academia and how they've changed, and some of the events of the left and trade union movements that merit greater analysis and recognition. We previously spoke to Mary about her own political background and experience as an activist and trade unionist in episode 7 of the podcast. Um, You'll find that in the feed. Mary mentioned the Robert Tressell Festival. If you're listening at the time this goes out in April 2023, the festival is taking place in Liberty Hall on the 6th of May and includes panels and talks on Tressell, his novel, The Ragged Trailer Philanthropists, and on contemporary organising, as well as music and drama. You can find out more on the website at trestlefestival.ie That's T-R-E-S-S-E-L-L festival.ie uh, You'll find a link in the podcast notes as well. you find the Irish Left Archive at leftarchive.ie um, and if you want to get in touch with us you can email us at contact at leftarchive.ie So thanks to Mary for taking the time to talk to us and thank you for listening.
2: Thank you Mary for coming along and it's very much appreciated I guess I can throw out as a start why historical research is useful from your perspective and then how you would link that into why is left-wing historical research useful.
3: Well, at the risk of being misunderstood, you know, the old cliche about those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it it's absolutely essential that we do, particularly for the left, actually, that we do uh, rigorous, honest research. I have, I, you know, I was thinking about this and I realized honesty is incredibly important to me. But I think it's important because uh, especially with a lot of right wing historians, but also right wing activists and various others, they really don't care about the truth at all. Mm. You know, mm. that, and some of the debates that are going on at the moment about broad issues um, are entirely framed on, you know, picking and choosing what will suit the thesis that they want to propose rather than what should arise from the evidence that they unearth. So, you know, it's it's not only useful, it's essential, in my opinion. Right And, um, you know, there's been always, you know, history wasn't always an academic subject. You know, we're only going back about 200 years, really. And in that time, there have been all sorts of debates and arguments about different historical theories and historiography. But... One thing that I think has emerged in the 20th century has been the impact of technological improvements. Mm. So we can now do the sort of research that wouldn't have been possible years ago. Um, You know, I, I, I... would describe myself as a contemporary historian because I like to do labour history and I particularly Mm -hmm. want to do oral history, which requires that people are still alive to talk to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But the thing about it is that, um, you know, if I was looking uh, from a historian's point of view at what Robert Tressel wrote about, I would only have access to official records. Right. You know, that working class people only appeared as statistics. I mean, E.P. Uh, e. Thompson tried to change that,
0: mm.
3: uh, and he was, he did manage to do a very good job, you know, the making of the English working class, as mm. he said, restored the working class from the condescension of posterity. But the fact is that he was pretty unique in what he was doing for a long yeah. time, and uh, you know, so it really is countering the the long history. I can't think of another word at the moment, but the long tradition, if you like, of history being written from the top down. Mm. Uh, So it's absolutely essential that, I mean, most left people are working on the basis of the bottom up. Because we're aware of power imbalances, you know, all of and all that leads to. So the only way you're going to counter that is to show that there's an, another truth. I mean, no, I shouldn't say another truth because actually, you know, there can be one truth. But mm-hmm. I'm I'm trying to avoid sounding postmodern and yeah. <laughs> that there are different ways of looking at things. But equally, you know, it's um, one of my Absolute pleasures of being the Dublin City Council a historian in residence is that I get to remind so called ordinary people, most of whom are extraordinary, that they're just as important as the so called leaders. You know, to remind them that their history is what makes up history in general and that, you know, small projects have as much of an importance in outcome as the larger well-funded ones which are usually done with a particular agenda in mind anyway
2: so in a sense like you're pushing back completely against obviously the the form of the great man as was sick uh, you know um, but also the first time we spoke to you about this you also were talking about the dangers being too polemical in historical Research and I, I presume also yeah. in the presentation of historical research. So that's a sort of tension, isn't it, between you know I think coming I think in with
3: avoid yeah. It, yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes it's difficult to avoid. Totally. You know, I mean, I've obviously got a very strong point of view about what I do. But so long as I try to be honest with myself in the first place, you know, am I seeing this as the evidence shows it was and that I've done my best to find as many sources of evidence? Or am I seeing it through the lens of somebody who wishes things were different? I had when I was an undergraduate many years ago, I remember one of um Professor Patrick Kelly, who I think has sadly passed on, but he, I had been doing an essay on the Levellers. Mm-hmm. And he said it was a very good, well-written essay. And I'm delighted with myself. And he said, but the thing is, Mary, that a historian has to write about what happened, not what you think should have happened. Yeah. And it was a very valuable lesson. And I've always tried to bear that in mind because, you know, as a, somebody who uses oral history a lot, especially, there is a danger. You know, I shape what goes out because that's Mm. my role as the historian. But that I have to be very careful not to distort what my uh, narrators or interviewees have said to me. And that's where the avoidance of polemic comes in as well, because I really do believe that most people are not idiots. You know, uh, the right might treat them like they are and condescend to them and tell them all sorts of nonsense. But really that is kind of a minority pursuit, thankfully, so Mm. far, long may it remain so. Mm. So, you know, if people coming from the left are distorting history to make a point, it's. I think it's as bad in a way because the readers or the consumers, for one for a better word, because there are now so many different ways of disseminating history, um, they'll see through it very quickly.
2: Yeah. Do you get the sense, say across the last 10 or 20 years in particular, that there's been a difference in terms of how the research that you present is received in a sense? I mean, would you say that... Uh, you know, has, have responses sharpened or has there been more of a sense of you're entering into a more combative uh, environment when you present research than, say, 10 or 15 years ago?
3: In academic circles, yes.
2: Really? <laughs> but, In academic circles? Wow.
3: Yeah, but I, do, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think, mm. you know, provided it's not motivated by some political reason you know Mm. that somebody is genuinely challenging you to justify what you've just said i don't do all that much um presenting at academic conferences anymore because i'm totally outside that Mm. but i would have been doing it until relatively recently um Mm. but i do find you know and i do maybe this is because in a sense it's a narrow kind of experience looking at my job working for Dublin City Council, that as the historians in residence, we are getting an amazing reaction from our audiences. And it's not because we're so brilliant, which of course we are, Mm -hmm. but because people are, you know, they've been given an opportunity, especially over the decade of commemorations, Mm. to explore ordinary people's roles. Mm. I mean, I'm old enough to remember the 1966 celebration right. commemorate and they, actually they were celebrations it was rather different
0: yeah.
3: um, you know uh, and so many things were omitted quite deliberately mm. half the population mm. but uh you know i i was i was just at school at the time but i remember we all had to learn of the proclamation mm. and of the republic and you know i i actually can't recite it anymore which is terrible <laughs> but the point really would be that that was so much a top-down kind of recognition of what had happened that led to the creation of the state but also did a great deal when you're looking back on it to the shape the state took mm. you know that i mean women were written out of the record almost immediately yeah. um they one piece of legislation after another that curtailed women's rights and i'm only talking about women but you know there was one of the first you know, we hear a lot about um you know markovich as minister for labor but mm. you know she was fairly active in suppressing some major strikes <laughs> it. Uh, and possibly the people she was working with she wouldn't have had much choice but at the same time you know that level of engagement. I mean, one of the most, some of the most important activities during the revolutionary period, were under was undertaken by unions and by you know mm. we had Soviets in places that you would never have expected them to occur, yeah. and because people were saying, well, look, if we're trying to change, we're, we're removing our overlords, mm. let's not repeat. We've had to endure. And of course then we went ahead and had the civil war and repeated exactly what had been happening before. But you know, when you say is it a sharper response? Mm. Yes it is, but it's great because it means people right. are thinking about it. So
2: so in a sense, actually, it almost sounds like to a degree and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the manner in which the history of what we now see as a decade of commemorations or a decade worthy of commemoration. Um, and the manner in which that was dealt with in 1966 was in and of itself rife for some form of reassessment. We don't need to call it revision, but a reassessment. I
3: think reassessment is, fa- is fair. Revision is very loaded in Irish
2: yeah. terms. Yeah, yeah. Because it's funny, because I was on foot of your. Uh, the last podcast you'd mentioned jj lee's um history and uh i'm i i came away with the impression you weren't a fan so i went back and i had a look at the index and i was going hmm now he does make a certain uh in the introduction he does talk about how there's a necessity of history to be sort of multifaceted and then he talks about yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he talks about the historian as he so it's sort of like and i, I quite like jj lee's writing but there's certain things where you go hmm, okay yeah. um but but uh, a, <laughs> yes and i yeah absolutely and i but it just strikes me that in a sense that's something that couldn't be written today you or well one would hope it wouldn't be written today that it wouldn't be
3: uh either the he and, sort of thing but no i i think and, and, the the problem the imbalance now is less about gender though there are still major issues i mean it's only really in the last couple of years that for instance Mary McAuliffe and Linda Connolly's work on yeah. sexual violence in yeah. that period is coming to the fore mm. but I you know it's it's about class we still haven't acknowledged the huge gulf in class you know in Ireland yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've always argued we're, not, we're a class free society well of course we're not mm. you know mm. it's, when you're looking at the various mechanisms that the state set up over the years Um yeah. You know, one of the greatest initiatives um, pushed through by a woman, Katrina Crow, <laughs> but would be the um, getting the on the, the military history witness statements online for for, for nothing, for free. Yeah. And now the pension statements—they're yeah. an amazing resource. Now yeah. there, you know, certain uh, caveats around them, but mm. at the same time. You know, I don't think that that couldn't have been done. And when you look at the material that was given to the interviewers at the time, Mm. uh, it wasn't so much telling them what they were to ask, though there was an element of that. But Mm. there was also a great deal of curtailment about the narrative that they were permitted to talk about. Yeah. And, um, you know, which is a pity. Now, of course, there were a lot of people who chose not to give a witness statement, for instance, mm. because they weren't happy with the outcome of the Civil War.
0: Yeah.
3: You know, so th- there are all sorts of issues going on. It's not black and white or otherwise. But at the same time, I do think that class is the really big uh elephant in the room, if you like, that hasn't properly been dealt with, except by some notable exceptions, but not by the mainstream of history in Ireland. And do you think there's any way
2: around that? I mean, do you think there's a way the class can be addressed in the context of uh, Irish historiography in the 21st century? Because it it seems a remarkable omission, to put it mildly, obviously. Yeah,
3: and Yeah, I think I mean it is being dealt with to some extent. Uh for instance, you've got local history groups Mm. that are definitely moving away from the great man Mm. kind of approach. And you know, the fact that a lot of that move was accompanied by a focus on great women, you know, which is not what we're trying to achieve. But no, I, I I'm not that despondent about it in some ways. I think there's been some great work really has come out of, especially the commemorative commemorations period, but also the extension of the schemes like historians in residence, mm-hmm. which are focused primarily on local history. Um, and yeah. you know, I mean, when I went to Trinity years ago as an undergraduate, it was a bit sniffy about local history yeah. and. You know, I, I wouldn't have even known to a great extent how to, what mechanisms to use and what methodologies. Hmm. Now, I'm very lucky in that I got a job when I was probably ready to hang up the boots. But, <laughs> you know, uh, that taught me a whole different way of looking at things. But that's all being rectified Slowly in some places, and it is down to a willingness by maybe local authorities, but more importantly, by local politicians to
0: recognize
3: mm. that you need to do that. There are obviously limitations and historians are going to see things maybe a bit differently than yeah. a, a councillor or whatever. But the fact is that they're putting the resources into it. So it's not reliant on universities and colleges to you know which is a barrier to a lot of people. I mean I I did some work on um the kind of so-called ancillary stuff in Trinity about mm. 10 or 15 years ago maybe now yeah. uh and you know, this is where my enmity with David Norris comes in, you know, he launched the book, not my choice, but he basically said that it was time that a proper history of Trinity was written. So just totally, you know, obviating the... Testimony of people who had worked faithfully for the college for many decades, in some cases, uh, all from working class backgrounds. Very few of them would have had the opportunity to go into the college in any capacity other than as from going to work. Yeah. Now that has changed as well, you know, and there are lots of access programs for all the universities. But that kind of thing continued, you know, so that shaped academic work
0: to a great extent. Absolutely.
3: You know, but but there's more, it's not even just about class history, but, you know, some of the tools that are being used now, I mean, the the Cambridge history, the last uh, iteration of it, Mm. the geography and, you know, which is very exciting, but of course, you know, if you're working on the land or even, you know, Construction or something, wet days have an enormous impact. Yeah. But as historians, wouldn't necessarily have been aware that this was something that was going on. I mean, I have to say, one of the things I find frustrating about getting older is that my capacity to read a lot has been diminished. I you know, right. don't get through as many books as I used to. Yeah, and there's such great stuff coming out. I want to read them all, but yeah. you know, um, I. I, I possibly will eventually end up, you know, having somebody read to me if I
0: can't
3: manage any volunteers. (laughs) (laughs) need interns. You know, it's all, it is exciting.
2: You noted that when you were in, I think in TCD though, I don't know if the institution really bears upon the matter, that at certain points when you put forward a left-wing thesis, or again, and I use the word framing advisedly, again, take on board your point about that's Let's be cautious about the language that we use. But you got pushback at times from students saying that, you know, that the very mention of, say, Marx was out the door. And and to me, I find that almost inexplicable that in the 21st century, somebody wouldn't see, even if you didn't buy into Marxism, even if you didn't agree with Marxism, you wouldn't see it as a methodological tool, which was appropriate, at least in part, along with other methodological tools, of analysis and how does one deal with that I mean if if there's a I mean do you think that's being subverted in a sense or is that a one-off or is that just purely bites into the individual students and their
3: I think some of it was just particular groups or whatever you know I mean there were I remember there was a year of doing that course for the first time and mm. um it got a lot of very strange kind of reactions. But equally, I do remember lots of times, you know, doing classes around feminist history, Hmm. uh, which, you know, and having young women say to me, but we don't need feminism anymore. We've solved all the problems. Now, this was long before Appeal of the Eighth or anything else. Uh, Hmm. But that's another class issue. Yeah. Because the sort of people who are focusing on that, you know that the, the interpretation wasn't correct. Are yeah. were, were coming from a class where they took privilege for granted of whatever yeah. sort, and but you know at the same time there were equally good people coming from another perspective, just yeah. not as as many. <laughs>
0: yeah,
3: uh, and students, you know, undergraduates tend to be inherently lazy, you know, so. yeah. Uh, it, it was much easier to look at the broad strokes where you could get the notes online or whatever. You know that, um, especially, particularly, kind of Marxist history would mm. be based enough a lot of it on more, you know, the first half of the twentieth century mm. rather than later. Mm. So it wasn't perhaps as accessible. I don't know. If, you know that, but there were schools of historians in britain especially that yeah, it it, you know and they did marvelous work
2: yeah um, well again e.p thompson um, and
3: well yeah you know,
2: to an expen- extent as well yeah. and uh and, yeah. and thompson certainly saw it as a broad-based thing i mean he clearly understood like the necessity for gender and
3: oh absolutely yeah you know but then he was a political activist as well yeah. and i think that makes a difference yeah you know, Hobson probably was too, but didn't kind of complain about it to the same extent. Yes. <laughs> um, it, you know, uh, I, I just, you know, it probably does come back to this honesty about, with yourself as yeah. a historian, you know, can you really say that you've presented this as well as it could be? Now, mm. um you know, occasionally I've had people ask me, I said, well, you you know, you do a lot of criticism of the Irish government and they're paying your wages. Uh, and they said, no, mm. actually you are. <laughs> you know, this would be the audience. You know, at, and then it's Dublin City Council. But it's, we've, you know, I've certainly never experienced any kind of attempt to restrict what I do. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I gave a lecture last month in the uh, central library on Robert Trestle but mm. not really about the book so mm. much as the conditions in Dublin when he would have been born here and uh, it had a very good audience you know nice big audience as well but they were really you know that kind of response with very clear sharp questions that showed they'd been listening and were taking on board but nobody suggested to me that you know i mean i always come clean and say i'm totally here as a socialist as well as a historian Mm. you know get over it (laughs) Uh, but i've never i've actually never had a problem with
2: it that's interesting
3: you know i mean people i think they appreciate that i do my best to present as much information as i can that they might have had before yeah. And, um, you know, that I'm, I am being honest about where I got it or why I see it in a particular way.
2: Again, it comes back to the meaning of this and, 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 and the utility of this. And I think people do find it more broadly very, very useful, as you say, about local history groups and so forth.
0: Mm. There's a
2: real energy and enthusiasm around them. And I think then for historians to perhaps present uh, in a transparent way, they the fact that they have an angle but simultaneously that they're they're working from the facts perhaps that mitigates against any sort of negativity in that area that the people say Mm -hmm. well that's grand but if the facts are if the facts are the facts then people feel comfortable with that and uh you know they'll look at the superstructure perhaps in a slightly different way and then they'll take that into account or they'll factor that in or they'll say well okay that's you know Uh, Do you think that's an aspect to it as well, that if you're if you're completely open about where you're coming from?
3: Oh, I think it's important. I mean, I've had the odd person, very few, actually, over the years who had read something that wasn't factually correct, but they totally swallowed it and believed it. And I would have said, you know, this happened uh, Mm -hmm. and. These were the consequences. And this person would put their hand up at the end and say, no, you're totally wrong, because so-and-so had different interpretation. Right. Uh, I would try and persuade them that, uh, you know, I have the evidence to back up what I said mm. But you don't want to call somebody who's not there to defend their writing, you know, to be suggesting that they were deliberately misleading or anything. Yeah. And you also don't want to say to a member of the audience, I think you probably got that wrong when you read it, you know. Yeah. Probably more likely. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, generally what I do is say, can we agree to disagree? Mm. Because I'm not there to argue with the audience in that, or with members of the audience. And it hasn't happened that frequently.
2: Right.
3: Generally, people might come up afterwards to say, you know, it's a quiet word Mm. afterwards. Well, you know, I've read something totally different, and quite, you know, if if they're able to say where they got it, or everything, well, look, we're never going to that historian and I are never going to agree. Yeah. So this is my interpretation, but his or hers will yeah. essentially be different.
2: Do Do you think there's a sense where the left? I mean, there are, and I want again, I want to be cautious about the way I phrase this, but I mean, obviously. In Irish history and in particular dealing with the 1916, well, 1913, 1912 Mm -hmm. period through to independence. and Yeah. uh, uh, There seems to be these sort of sweeping, you know, there's this sort of, I'd liken it almost to a cavalry moving across a plain and then another cavalry moves forward and they move back and forth. And there's an awful lot of like um, contention over things that in a sense come down to a degree, to inter- interpretation. They're not entirely, I'd hasten to add. Mm. But the left doesn't seem to be part and parcel of that process at all inside this, in these conflicts. And without getting too deep into the weeds about the actual conflicts, conflicts themselves, do you think that's anything to do with the position of the left inside the society? That in actual fact, to a certain degree, it's a thread that's marginalised in oh, our hell. society. And it's not at the, I mean, it's not the central concern, and in a sense, there seems to be other disputes over the nature of republicanism or the nature of the activities of what occurred during the the War of Independence and after. And the left, in a sense, is an adjunct to that, as distinct from being part and parcel of it. And has that got any? Do you think that has any impact on the nature of how left wing historians function inside the society? Or, I mean, do you have any thoughts on that broadly?
3: I haven't thought about it too much because there aren't that many avowedly left-wing historians. I mean, mm. there are a few brilliant examples. Um, I'm not going to boost their egos. No, but- we'll spare their blushes. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, we are a minority. Yeah. Uh, but the left is a minority in Ireland.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, you know, it, it irritates me intensely to hear Sinn Féin and Labour being described as left. <laughs> you know, they really aren't, you know. And <laughs> their their behaviour in successive governments indicates that. But um, the it is really... I mean, Ireland probably at heart is still a conservative society, and I mean mm. that in most senses. Mm. But we're also you know, a society that would like to do better. And I think, you know, when you see things like masses of people coming out on protests about the state of the housing, you know, Mm. and homelessness, uh, they're not necessarily coming from a very worked out formula to how you might solve this. Mm. They're convinced by people like Owen O'Brien, who's very erudite on the subject hmm. but um, you know, not entirely sure that the structures of Irish society, particularly as the way that the civil service senior civil service functions is going to allow the kind of radical change that we really need to happen hmm. um, I mean that's a huge discussion that needs yeah. to be had so yeah there's a, it also kind of goes back even to 1918, and the you know, the Labour Party and the Congress of Trade Unions at the time deciding not to mm. take part in that election. Yeah, um, we have prioritized nationalism, and then, of course, with the outcome of the civil war, it was a particular you know, it was a bourgeois state that we ended up with, mm. uh, uh, dominated by the Catholic Church, mm. uh, who have long had not just in ireland fairly um strong anathema to the working class Hmm. and have reminded people that they must know their place because they find happiness when they die which is going to be such a lot of use to them (laughs) so you know uh i i do think we you know on the left there's been a certain stepping back over Hmm the years of independence um, hmm. so we can only really blame ourselves
2: and there's no way around that or is there or is there
3: well you know, there are lots of ways around it well but, in the sense um, unfortunately you know <laughs> you know what they say about left parties first thing on the agenda is the split <laughs> yes <Yeah. laughs> so, yeah. it's, it's um. more or less the same with historians or any group that works themselves as you know a body maybe associated with a particular profession but yeah governed by a particular political outlook
2: so so in a sense like it's kind of atomized it's like you've got numbers of people who are in history in historical research but the research itself isn't linked into a broader corpus of um uh, e- e- even a worldview in a sense it seems to be more yeah it's more atomized than that basically in Ireland, obviously
3: it's it's improving somewhat because of course there's access to international publishers. Yeah, you know that who yeah. actually want to look at this, uh, but and that's relatively recent. Yeah, you know um, it can be hard enough to get published in, an, in a, you know if you're writing academic work. Yeah, uh, and if you're writing trying to make history accessible and more popular which is a horrible description because Mm. it it, in a sense almost downgrades it Mm. Uh, I think that's a totally valid pursuit but Mm. it almost immediately sets up a barrier from the serious so-called publishers
2: right
3: you know Mm. that you'll have some publishers who are willing to do you know very accessible stuff with lots mm. of pictures and everything, which, is, you know, I'm, I'm a great believer in a picture being worth a thousand words <laughs> You know, it, it because it also is quite often the only way you can restore ordinary people to the records because you mm. see a photograph of them, maybe, you know, at a, a strike or a Mm. picket or some, you know, the activities that we have engaged with over the years of the state's existence to make changes. Mm. So all of these, they are very important, but there's all sorts of structural barriers there as well. Yeah, okay. But it's, you know, I I mean, I know probably, I I am um, an an apologist for oral history and the value of it. Because it's going straight to the lion's mouth, or whatever the expression is. Mm. You know, I mean, you're going straight to the person who experienced what they're doing. I I had an unpleasant experience at my own Viva for my PhD. Um, I was referred back by the external examiner to focus more on the documentary evidence that I had found. And I was kind of. You know, I was so shocked at the time. Yeah. And it, it actually says an oral history. You know, that, uh, and I did what I needed to do. Six yeah. months later, I came back, you know, but a uh, very eminent uh, historian who, who claims to like oral history, but she did the same thing to another student, you know. That, um, I, I don't think that would, that probably wouldn't happen now. I mean, that's a long time ago, but at the The thing is that those, the people who would have had problems with working class history other than looking at workers as economic units, Mm. you know, all of that, um, Mm. they're still there at the top. (laughs) That's,
2: and well, this, I mean, this is interesting as well because, like, obviously, oral history does get, as you say, uh, Gets straight to the heart of matters, in a sense, and the testimony of actual people seems to me to be, yeah. you know, I mean, Zin we know and others.
3: more about what happened to a person in their life than the person yeah. themselves.
2: And of course, it it also links directly into working class histories.
3: Oh, it's especially relevant there. Yeah, you know that, I mean, in the sixties when it was starting to become a recognised tool, not mm. so much in Ireland, that was later. It was often referred to as a way to reveal the hidden voices. Well, I don't think those voices are hidden anymore because mm. there are so many people looking at uh, using all of those methods. But, you know, there's also a danger that it's seen as a cheap alternative to more intensive research, the you. Yeah in front of somebody and they tell you loads of things, but you still have to do all the homework. Yeah. You know, um, you don't know what questions to ask about something unless you've done at least a modicum of research to find out what might, you know, what's the view at the moment, what do we know now and what can you add to it rather yeah. than, uh, you know, just uh, people aren't telling stories. They're, you know, it, it is history and it's research but, so it has to be conducted properly as well.
2: So d- does that mean that you have a sense like that it's undervalued as as an area of historical Well research? I
3: think you know there are, have been instances of institutions wanting to use oral history interviews hmm. because you can play a recording of somebody talking and because they're talking about the past that's history Yeah. Um, and used maybe in exhibitions and things, which is all very well if you say this is a story, mm. but claiming it's history and you haven't done the other work. Yeah. You know, it's um, the, the, the Grange Gorman Histories project that I referred to. Mm. Well, you know, that's a serious history of mental health treatment in ireland Mm. but it has an agenda totally which is to try and change the stigma around it that's been bedeviling people here for a long time but it will be you know there's the expert working group that's steering the eventual we hope museum Mm. are all they're coming from different disciplines i'm there as kind of the oral historian and dublin city council Mm. historian but you know we've got uh People from the National Archives, from uh, various museums, from the HSE, because they hold a lot of the records, mm. you know, but it, it has a very serious intention, which means that it will be handled as scrupulously as possible. Yeah, uh, But we try and make it accessible because the... Um, you know, a lot of the kind of intermittent pieces that are coming out of it. Uh, Like, for instance, Paul Rouse recently wrote a piece about sport being used in St. Brendan's and sport in the local community. And Mm. that's on the RIA website Mm. for Great Common Histories. That's an added bonus, this sort of thing, you know. Uh, There's various... I'm, I'm going to be doing one on the cattle market, which is in the area, I mean, they weren't actually dealing with people in Grange Gorman, you know, but uh, it's the thing is that it's about the the locality in which such an important institution was located for such a long time. And course the different phases it went through and because we're now into its third century of existence mm. there's a bit more leeway in terms of looking at the medical records and professor brendan kelly has done fantastic work there but i mean he would never describe himself as left but he yeah. is very uh, much i mean a very humane person mm. so it's done from that basis
2: talk about Grange Gorman and the interaction with the community around it, or the lack of interaction even I guess, sometimes the negative can be as interesting as the positive. Yeah. You were talking about 1913 and of course you are using testimony from, C- when you were doing research on that you were doing um
3: Well it had to be of necessity. Yes, of you know, necessity the from generation.
2: succeeding generations, yeah. Yeah. B- yeah but building up a picture in a sense from people who came after and I'm wondering yeah. how hard you found that or how difficult a process you find that in terms of
0: well,
3: I kind of, you know, I had trained the people who from community groups and trade unions who volunteered to come forward for this project. Hmm. Uh, And most of them were very left. (laughs) But but it was
0: sponsored
3: by what's now the Connect Union. So, you know, it's not a left body. Anyway, um, the experience varied. For instance, I most of my interviews were with people who are active trade unionists. Hmm. So they had a perspective that had been shaped not just by their family involvement, but by their own life experience. Hmm. So they were probably the easiest ones. Um, I, I, you know, various others would have uh, interviewed family members whose, you know, the kind of intervening generation, the children of the people who had been involved around the lockout couldn't speak about it. And, you know, in one case, it was very traumatic because uh, it was one of the guys who was shot by uh, the DMP and his family was broken up and one half ended up being sent up to Artane Industrial School and the girls were sent to, you know, a family member and were... You know that's really traumatic, mm. uh, but it left such a legacy. You know that there was a part of the family that you know doesn't really deal at all with the other part because they felt you know uh, they had been victimized, but not actually by their family. You know. Mm. Anyway, uh, there were also you know interviewing people from the community in East Wall, for instance. You'd be familiar with some of the work that the group yeah. has done history group but that was you know i mean it was almost the center if you like of the lockout and Mm. the the greatest trauma to ordinary people down there and you know one thing that fascinated me from that again coming back to the class thing that you know a hundred years later uh scabs row was still being referred to because there were people who got houses out of the people who had stayed locked out and on strike um, had lost their homes you know and had been replaced by others so but one of the the fascinating the really fascinating things from my perspective was how distorted the story had become to the history you know that A lot of people knew that Jim Larkin was involved. That was about the sum total of it. You know, they they might have seen um, that excellent RTE production, you know, they really did do a good job, Mm. it must be 25 years ago, Mm. of um, *Strumpet City. Hmm. That, that that had informed a lot of people's understanding, and it was it was very true to the book. Yeah. But it wasn't necessarily true to the history, <laughs> uh, but then you know, Plunk, James Plunkett had written that hmm. with the idea of making the history accessible, but yeah. he probably fictionalized it too well.
2: Right. <laughs> so, so that's interesting. So there was sort of a resonances which might not even be which weren't obviously correct no, resonances
0: they're, history,
3: yeah, they're artificial but, yeah, yeah but this happens all the time i mean i i often think that yeah. uh something has happened because i dreamt it. <laughs> 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 mm. members of my family have always found this very amusing when i'm talking about something but my mother does it as well so it's kind of a genetic thing almost right yeah, and, you know, that we have such vivid dreams that we actually think they happened. Right. But that there's no excuse for a historian indulging in that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know, of course, yeah. of course. <laughs> and, and,
0: um, yeah.
2: So then when you're coming to, I mean, when you're coming to a situation where you've got like somebody and you talk to somebody and does that recollection of a memory, which isn't actually accurate, does that become part and parcel of the history insofar as I mean, it's a fascinating phenomenon in itself. Like, there is something which isn't.
3: I think it's something that should be discussed, but not necessarily reported as history. Yes, you can yeah. talk about yeah. it because sometimes it relates to how the you know the history or the involvement of an a relative or an ancestor mm. has been passed down in the family or the community, mm. or whatever. Uh, so. It is important, but Mm. it can't be said that because somebody has something that is so totally against the record from every other source.
0: Yeah.
3: Now, it's possible that somebody is correct, Mm. you know, and they're reporting something that was different to how it's been recorded since. Mm. I mean, you could be forgiven, for instance, you know, not to know that Elizabeth O'Farrell was standing beside Patrick Pearce with the surrender because it was a British newspaper that wiped her out of the picture. Yeah. but that picture was the record for a very long time because it suited the you know those who were trying to put women back in their domestic yeah. frame. Yeah. And clearly, you know the women had been involved around nineteen sixteen and later were subverting Mm. that domestic role that, you know, the 1937 Constitution came back and underlined.
2: Yeah, completely. I mean, that's a particularly egregious example, but in a way it stands for so many others.
3: Well, there have been loads that were a bit more subtle, but or took longer to do. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, so um, I suppose, you know, nothing's perfect, but We've had conscious distortions of history a lot in this country, most other countries as well. You know, when they say it's written by the victors, that's relating to the class war, I think, as, you know, not necessarily that it's talking about the battles.
2: Mm. So it's a structural thing as well.
3: Yeah, you know, and they've got the tools to do that. You reminded me about the question of funding and how important that Mm. Well, that's a very influential tool, you know, so um, uh, projects that might appear to be too subversive of the broader narrative or, you know, acceptable about what they Mm. say um, often don't get funded, you know, that it's improved a lot, but equally it can still be very difficult.
2: Yeah. So, in other words, certain aspects of the history don't get out there, don't get addressed, don't get... the. Or they're
3: done by people who, Ah. you know, like myself and others in local history groups, do it on a voluntary basis.
2: Yeah. And then that shapes the overall narratives and that's convenient to pervading narratives and...
3: Yeah, you know, you have to be willing to do these things without being, you know, I mean, there's been some marvellous books come out in recent years. Mm. Uh, Also, some great documentaries, you know, there's been really great work done. Mm. But um, they're done by people within, I suppose, the privileged area of academic institutions for the most part, because there's a respectability that goes with that. I I mean, I can get things published, but I'm more likely to get them published as being general popular history
0: Mm. than
3: being credited with being serious approach to history, because I like to put in lots of pictures and things as a centre of people <laughs> yeah. who else existed. Wow.
2: To me, there isn't a contradiction in terms of having pictures and so on and so forth no, and having no, serious no academic research. I mean, it's...
3: When you look at something like the Atlas of the Famine or the Atlas yeah. of the Famine, they are the complete proof that yeah. it, it's a wonderful idea. Uh,
2: apart from which it's also, I mean, to me, from my own research background and so on and so forth, to me, it's mm. absolutely essential if there's imagery, throw it in because it's so useful. And the same with audio, by the way. I mean, you know, if there's if there's audio of people speaking, as you say, though, right, it has to be contextualised in such a way that it actually has a pertinence and a meaning. Otherwise, like, you know, and the same with the pictures as well. I mean, uh, the images of whatever nature they may be, the photographs, hopefully. Um, But what you describe in some ways is a situation where History and the left, and or left analyses of of history, are are subject to a huge number of factors, which make getting left history history from a left perspective or historical analysis from a left perspective out mm-hmm. that bit more difficult than it should be or it would be under ideal conditions. Is that fair yeah, to say? I
3: think it is. Now, I mean, this is not. Uh, properly researched opinion in the sense that, Mm. you know, um, but my response to my own, my my knowledge, I suppose, and I will admit it's limited Mm. about how Irish history has been published Mm. has been that it's been um, non-Irish publishers who took on things like, you know, Brian Hanley's and uh, Scott Miller's history of the left, mm. you know, the, the yeah. last left. Uh, and even more recently, you know, Dermot Ferreter isn't particularly left, but he certainly is very broad compared to... He, he probably, I suppose, left in the same sense that Labour is these days. Mm. Uh, you know, yeah. They're not right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but, the, you know, he's been... With, uh, I mean, it's only in recent years that he's been back with, so the Royal Irish Academy has published him and, mm. you know, and um, Gillam Macmillan, but that was when he got the professorship. So, you know, there's a certain tie in between, I suppose it's a safety for publishers as well that yeah. somebody who reaches that eminent position of the professor of history at UCD yeah. can be trusted. Yeah somebody like me that you know it's much less known yeah. except you know i give out about things a lot so <laughs> <laughs> it mightn't be that appealing <laughs> <laughs> i mean i i'm you know in recent years i i've been the i was going to probably can't use the expression <laughs> because if you're going to podcast literally the pig and shite because i love my job now it's i'm so lucky to have it because you know it's it's about promoting history
0: Mm. to people
3: who are interested in it Mm. and for the most part you know, coming up with things that are unexpected that I didn't know before or that challenge me to find out more and Mm. also to come back with things that are going to interest the kinds of people I've been meeting over the last few years.
2: Yeah, that sounds pretty good.
3: Uh, Oh, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I paid for it. (laughs) I paid for it, yeah.
2: In terms of the left itself and history, have you any thoughts about that and the Irish left in history? No, I mean, I'm not saying because I remember I was I was many, many years ago when I was in Democratic left. I was at a um, I remember saying to Pat McCartan, our local TD at the time, I said, wouldn't it be great to get a history of the left together? And he looked at me with horror in his eyes and he said something along the lines of why would anybody want to do that? (laughs) <laughs> and I have, I have this, I have this notion that uh, that this might be a view shared across many left formations and groups and organisations. And I'm just wondering, do you get the sense that there is an interest in left historiography on the part of the Irish left as a general body, or is something that they're particularly, or, or again, is it a fact that we're inside a society which, to a certain degree, republicanism? the national question, constitutions mm-hmm. and the partition, et etc., et cetera. Uh, and more specifically, I guess, the conservative viewpoint of society and class and structures has also impacted on perceptions within the left of the left and the concept of history and so forth. I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are on that.
3: Yeah, I, I think probably, I, I don't think there's, a resistance to thinking about the history of the left and in fact I've been asked to do a chapter for a book that will be by academics but at the same yeah. time you know it's very much about the left mm. and dealing with the crisis of the last decade or so yeah. so I I think it's that there's so you know it's They're small groups for the most part and they're busy engaged in firefighting most of the time. There are so many issues, you know, the bread and butter issues that matter to most people that are getting done. So I don't think it's that anyone said, oh, no, we're not interested in Mm. the left. I think it's just that, you know, there aren't enough resources for the most part. And while there are people like Brian who, you know, or Scott or others, you know, who have done great work mm. uh, yeah, yeah. Brian is in academic circles so you know he's able to he's been able to do that and mm. he is very talented but there would be others I think who just they're you know trying to make a living as well as <laughs> do the carry on yeah. their activities uh, and to find the time to do this is quite difficult yeah you know, so I I I mean my only experience of trying, I mean, I, I, I certainly found a, eons ago when I was in the Socialist Party, there was no problem to it at all. But mm. then Tom Crean was still around, who was a great Labour historian in his own right. So um, you know, I, I haven't really been keeping up with the literature because mm. I just when I left, I was a bit disillusioned then when they took socialism out of the title of yeah. the organization. Uh, but um, you know, th- there's always been a space for it. Um, I did, I was doing some work for uh, a trade union a few years ago, yeah. and I had done a lovely piece because about as I thought about their history as a union, yeah, and uh, to go in their manual for shop stewards. And it was removed because there wasn't enough space. Oh. But other things were left in that I didn't think were all that important. You know, right. so it's a matter of priorities. And unfortunately, the day-to-day struggles to deal Massive. with the yeah. issues. Yeah, they're huge. So, I, but I think we're history and in particular, you know, the sort of celebratory history. I mean, we're coming up to the 40th anniversary of the Duns anti-apartheid strike. Yeah. We have to make a huge fuss about that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Because
3: it took, you know, 11 11 young people from ordinary backgrounds Mm. uh, to make huge personal sacrifices. But they literally Mm, took on our state, the British state, the South African state, and they're renowned around the world for what they did. Yeah. And that sort of thing has to be remembered and written about
2: that's a great point. And it's, 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 it's easy to forget maybe those sort of struggles and, and how, in some ways, they were quite successful.
0: Oh, yeah.
3: Remarkably yeah. successful. But, you know, when you look at, uh, I mean, Mary Manning's account of her involvement in it, she didn't come from a political background at all. Yeah but she did what was right she followed a directive about something that she didn't really know anything about mm. and i have to say i was fortunate recently, last year um, the it's the 50th anniversary of the founding of the Irish Labour History Society mm. this year having a huge conference in september but we're also having a book coming out and it's based on various chapters of things that trade unions have managed to change or to improve Uh, and i was asked would i interview karen gear and who was the shop steward and um she uh, very kindly gave me a long interview. Now, I'm still moaning about the number of words that I was allowed to use. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd have repeated the whole thing. Right. But, um, you know, it it really did strike me. Karen has still she's still. Kind of keeping up the various struggles she's been living in Kerry for a long time, mm. uh, and she had other issues to deal with all related to equality, um, and they were that you know wasn't happy ever after at the end of the strike for them because right. Karen was fired and had to take Duns to court for unfair dismissal, which thankfully she won, mm. um, but you know they it did affect their lives in ways that were not positive for them. And yeah. while, you know, now it's recognized what fantastic examples they were. Yeah. Um, you know, at the time, the, the Irish state was the first to boycott formally South African goods, but they did, had done everything they could to oppress those young people outside Duns and Henry Street. Yeah. You know, the, the whole force of the state was being arrayed right against them. Yeah. So I will be talking about it a lot next year, I guarantee.
2: Excellent. That's really great. From your perspective, where are the areas that would be if, just if, if you had unlimited time and resources, obviously mm. you're, you're going to be dealing with that, but are there other areas that you can think of which would be of interest to... Engage with uh, in terms of left activity, um, or even it doesn't have not specifically left necessarily, because in some ways the apartheid struggle, yeah, left liberal ish in some ways, but uh, it depends on where people were in position in relation to it. But see, are there other examples you can think of um, from the last 25 years and so forth which would be interesting to kind of delve into through oral histories or through investigation? Well-
3: Actually, you know, I mean, it's it's not a, again probably not a specifically left thing, but mm. the struggle for women's rights yeah. has been very much on the top of the agenda for trade unions. Mm. Um, and as we all know, trade unions aren't necessarily left, but they yeah. would have a lot of left or left members because yeah. it's a logical thing to be in a union if you're in a workplace. But if you're left, but you know, there would be others. There have been a lot of the strikes that have changed social conditions have come from left groups constantly agitating about them Mm -hmm. and you know the left drove the anti-water charges and the anti-bin charges and while we know they'll rear their ugly heads again at some stage (laughs) that's the epitome of the class divide you know where those uh you know those initial plans came from and who was saying oh it's totally reasonable to have double taxation about some things you know so even just to explore all of those but actually you know i mean i can think of absolutely loads of smaller instances Mm. you know just that have been involved around myself Mm. um the greyhound strike was you know that, that unfortunately that wasn't a success in yeah. the long term. But what it did do was bring out a lot of people mm. chasing binaries around various areas, you know. But, you know, all of those things, they've been written about in, say, left journals or newspapers. Mm. But to make them... To remind people who wouldn't have been directly involved what can be achieved yeah. for the most parts, you know, what even though, as I said, the Greyhound one was a failure Mm -hmm. in actually improving things across the board. But it did give hope for a while. And a lot of people became politicised because of it and and similar things. So I think to try and explore the mindset that would have come out, you know, and oral history would probably be the ideal way to do that. because Mm. most people are still alive from the ones I'm thinking of. Mm. I I think they would have to be relatively recent, you know, to really get the best out of it. Yeah, Um, I had done interviews with a lot of the activists around the 1983 referendum, and they're now with the Digital Repository of Ireland Mm. um, to make them more publicly accessible, because I realised I just wasn't going to have the time to finish that them. work yeah. through the other referenda. But there are other, there are young historians who are doing great work. You know that, um, uh, Sinead Kennedy in uh, NUM, you know that, yeah. and Camilla Fitzsimons. Now I they're, yeah, you know, have written great stuff. Yeah. Uh, and if that kind of, that they're both very left. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. uh, and, Belonging to organizations that weren't necessarily encouraging that activity. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly, you know, myself and one or two others back in the, say, 2002 referendum
0: mm.
3: were getting word support, but not bodies for our activity around opposing the attempt to roll back the X judgment. Yeah.
2: Yeah. A lot of
3: it comes back to it's not just the left, it's been particularly the labor movement, Mm -hmm. but that women's rights could wait. Well, women's rights are human rights. (laughs) Actually, there's more of us than more of you. (laughs) So, (laughs) uh, you know, it's always been kind of that we need to solve the major problems, but actually, it gives such a boost when we do have victories. Mm. Now, the repeal of the 8th wasn't a particular, you know, wasn't based on a left initiative. It mm. was a, a liberal one, but um, it was a huge victory, but there's a lot still to do.
0: Yeah.
3: And, uh, you know, there, there's there are many other things like that, but I think, you know, to go back around, for instance, I'm trying to think when it was around the turn of the, the 21st century, mm. um, the INMO became extremely militant and still are and
0: yeah.
3: you know we've got Filney Hay talking at you know giving one of the keynotes at the Robert Tressell thing
0: yeah.
3: um, so you know there have been people like that who wouldn't advertise themselves as being particularly left but they're certainly blooming strong on the side of the working class <laughs> and that's what we need to remind us that that is what can be done